Welcome to Healthcare Experience Matters. This podcast is brought to you by the Healthcare Experience Foundation. And with today's episode, we're teaming with PRC. This podcast is dedicated to transforming the healthcare experience so that every person can receive and deliver the best care. We're going to hear from three executive nurse leaders who are going to share their expertise and best practices and additional solutions for moving forward in this uh, year of 2023. I'm excited because I get to introduce someone that I got to work with for two years, uh, Kristen Johnson, who's a CNO. She spent 13 years as a CNO, but uh, a large part of her 40-year nursing career. She's um, a thought leader. Um, I I love when she and I get together, we can't stop talking about who read what book. And um, she's usually read one that I haven't heard of, and I'll share one with her. I I got to watch her in action when I worked with her, and she really invested in her staff, really believes in coaching them and and helping them get the tools and the skill sets that they need, um, which was always very impressive to me um, as a consultant working with her because I got to see her in action. So I'm really excited to have her here because she's going to share a story of her own experience of what she's done as a leader in her organization, but also a personal story of things that might have happened to her. Kristen, you know, we're going to talk about how we define nurse bullying. Uh, I don't know if everyone understands. They probably understand the basic. They may not know the varied forms of nurse bullying, the role that we play in preventing nurse bullying. And then later, we're going to hear from two of our other exec coaches on prioritizing steps to prevent it and healthcare experience foundation solutions. So Kristen, welcome. Why don't you kick us off with how you define nurse bullying? The word bullying encompasses so much. It's how we treat each other. It, are we condescending? Do we, are we open to conversations uh, when we make mistakes? So it's picking on someone, it's criticizing someone, it's, it's, chewing at the desk about someone it's belittling them it's it's so big and I think we forget that bullying can come from anywhere so it's not just nurse on nurse and it's not just the physician to nurse it can come from anywhere in the organization and it can be a surprise and the one thing I can tell you is listen to your gut because you know when you feel uncomfortable or you feel like something's just not right. Um, I will share. I, as Brooke said, my years of experience, and I spent a lot of time in leadership. And the, the thing that I love the most about leader leadership is watching people grow and watching people succeed. And my role as a department head and a CNO was to make sure that my team had the tools and equipment they needed to do their job. So I'm basically a facilitator. I spent a lot of time setting the culture, zero tolerance. We don't eat our young. We support our new grads because they're our future. And there are, everybody's happy when we're staffed well, right? Staffing's the bane of our existence. So I spent a lot of time. I met with every new hire class. I met with every new grad class. And it was more interactive, not me talking, but really having a conversation and setting the tone setting the the group norms of the organization, what is tolerated and what we will tolerate. And I did that for a long time, many years, and spent many years as a CNO, um, 15 actually, and 
when I say that bullying can come from anywhere, it can come from anywhere and it can happen to anybody. And as a CNO, I was and have experienced bullying from a department director who was, who felt that they were smarter and more experienced. And in the state of California, the CNO is responsible, my license for my decisions. So I stood by the decisions I made and it started very subtle. It started very quiet, but it was that, that jab, that poke. Um, it would be an email that was a little condescending or a little accusatory. Um, one of the one of the sentences that were was used was, I don't want to hide data anymore. Okay, well, I've never hid data because the only way we grow is if we know what's real, right? And it just it started to grow. And I've got a strong faith. My philosophy is to take the high road, to lead by example, to model behaviors. So I kept doing what I was doing and I had informed the CEO. And kept moving forward. And little by little, it kept happening. And to the point of um, blatant insubordination when this person wanted to do something and it wasn't the right solution for the organization and was told no. And um, the emails got more heated. A formal complaint was filed. A full investigation was completed by... um, the local HR and the regional HR and absolutely no credibility of um, the accusations, no findings, but it continued and it's hurtful and it's surprising. And when you go through your entire career, 38 years, and now all of a sudden you're experiencing a bully, it's difficult. And as a leader, people are watching you. So watching what you say, watching what you do, watching how you handle situations. So it's always trying to be professional. Mm-hmm. And um, But it's heart-wrenching. So all of you that are on this call that have experienced bullying completely understand and know that it, it's happening. And I am really passionate and excited to be on this call because it has to stop. We are better. We are better than this, and we have the opportunity to make it a better place. Well, Kristen, you know, the interesting part is I think people have a view of bullying. They think it's one way. They don't ever think that it could be somebody sabotaging your job, that that's another form of bullying, and that's what you experience. And and nobody has a career as long as you do and as robust as you do to have your legacy at the end go down this path. And I, and I admire you for your vulnerability right now. And I admire you for, you always did take the high road. That's why I think you and I became such great friends. But when you look back over some of the things you did, is there anything you would advise our audience today that you wished you had done differently or that you wished you had done right off the bat when you um, recognized this was occurring to you? So two things that I did do is I did have a conversation with the person. The first, the both times she, she reported to me in part of her role and the CEO in part of her role. And um, I did, I had conversation. I'm a direct hitter. So I'd rather go to the source. Um, The rumor and gossip stuff drive me crazy. So go to the source, had a conversation with her. The conversations went well, Um, but the situation continued. 
the one thing I wish I really would have done is I wish I would have gone to HR and filed a formal complaint. And I didn't because I really felt like as long as I was leading by example and I was taking the high road and my CEO was listening, we would we would make it through. And um, that is not what happened. I don't think the outcome would have changed even if I had gone to corporate HR, but I think they needed to know formally what was happening in the organization. Yeah. And a lot of stress is being experienced while this is all occurring because it's it's a time waster. You're not getting work done when you're distracted by something that's occurring on a regular basis. So and, and I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Brooke. And, and many of you are on the call have experienced the two years of COVID and fear Fear is a huge driver and fear supersedes your conscious critical thinking. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to get there. I didn't want to, I wanted to continue to be a strong leader and to be a critical thinker. And when people are afraid, they're, they're not making the best decisions and they're not the best supporter. Yeah. The one thing about bullying is that we don't forget it. It's attached to a lot of emotion. It, like I said, it's time consuming and it, it drains us. And so in a workplace that we want to continue to have our employees feel valued and feel important and uh, connected, it's really important that we look at opportunities to not only set um, new norms, but also look at um, the zero tolerance of what it looks like. I probably wouldn't have thought of intimidation being part of bullying or uh, humiliating somebody in a meeting or sabotaging them. I wouldn't have th- thought of that as bullying. I might have labeled it differently because I always thought of the bully as the big guy on the you know playground that's going to punch you in the mouth. Um, that's kind of how we grew up to think of it, but we know it takes on many forms. All right. So I would love to queue up our executive coaches that we have today. We have Kathleen Lynham and we have Dr. Deborah Zastoski, and they're going to talk about, they're going to share some of their best practices Kathleen Lyman has been in healthcare for a very long time. We've got 45 years experience in uh, being a nursing officer and executive coach. And Deborah brings a whole breadth and width of, of experience as not only a CNO, but a chief operating officer and a CEO of a hospital. So you get two uh, unique perspectives on um, organizational development and, and really coaching your people and moving forward in an organization that creates engagement. Because again, we know that one of your concerns was how do I keep my people engaged and how do I retain the staff that I have? So I'm going to cue this up with Kathleen. When you work with clients, what is one of the first things that you assess when it's in regards to bullying in the workplace? Uh, well, first of all, you know, way back in 1909 when I began, and let me just get my hearing aid and my uh, and my uh, my walker out of the way here. Uh, there's a lot of things that we assess on beginning, but I, I thought that we would begin with starting off with, you know, what's something you could do right now, and and then talk about some of the global approaches as we move forward, because we know that, um, and I think on the next slide we have that, uh, Brooke. I don't know if it's just coming up slow on my thing. We know that when we're talking about bullying, we're talking about individuals and we're talking about the culture and the organization at large. So I'd like to talk about the individual leader's responsibility. Um, Bullying, as as Kristen was saying, can be silent. It can be hidden to many leaders. It's not always overt. Um, And what we know though, is the physical and emotional toll 
is present and wears people down. So this bullying through intimidation and microaggressive behaviors and incivility that um, Kristen was talking about happens everywhere. And sadly happens in the Garden State Parkway, happens on the roads. We, we know the, the reactionary um, behavior of people. So um, the most important thing a leader, and I'm talking to every nurse manager out there, every director, every chief nurse officer. First thing that we got to do is recognize there is a problem, as evidenced by our own poll right here. And what I encourage leaders to do right away when we begin doing workshops like this is go back to your um, to your group, your nurse manager, go to your, your your break room, the directors, take in your nurse managers, put up a flip chart. And put that definition from the ANA on what bullying is, and you know some examples. And as Kristen said, it's it's rude behavior, it's ignoring. Put that definition up there. Do the same toll that we just saw here. Do we think bullying's happening here in Georgia, in um, in these different hospitals and our department? And if so, ask people to write down what does it look like and what does it sound like. I think some of us might be surprised of the pervasiveness of these behaviors. And we do it sort of anonymously, leave that in there, you know, for a week or two. If we have nursing supervisors on and people who cover the weekends, take your little poll and go around from unit to unit and ask the same question. Because what we wanna do is peel back the layers. And I, I saw a number of you saying, yeah, we, we say, well, I'm just bringing what everybody else says, where people are afraid and reluctant to bring things forward. So we as leaders need to give them permission to do that. So first thing we want to recognize is that there is a problem. Um, you know, and when and and here's what a little cue for you. And when we dive into this deeper, we talk about the types of bullies. For me, my personal experience was first with the super nurse. You know, I came on getting my first wait way back in 1909, getting my 10 o'clock meds out. Oh my lord! I hoped I could get them out by one o'clock. But those people who were efficient and effective, did they step up and help? Not for the most part. There was. You know, let's see if this one makes it. This is the testing of our young. And more intimidating than them were our nursing assistants. Oh, my goodness, they scared the heck out of me. And uh, and the ability to say, I really need your help on an orthopedic department was very challenging for a new nurse. So recognize the problem, get those behaviors and those actions and those words out there. And then collaboratively, the second thing we all have to do is adopt a zero tolerance. And that has to be done collaboratively. Why? Number one, because we don't want everything to go to mama. Oh, mom, another one, another kid was bad. Another child was bad. We want to bring it forward and collectively to talk about as a team, what are we going to do if someone brings forward to me an, um, an incident of bullying? And when we do that together, they can, we can talk about how Kristen went and talked to the person directly. That that takes courage and, and that takes skills. And so encouraging people will go with you, but um, we've got to make sure that we agree on how we're going to handle this when this happens. And in many organizations, we help them create these non-negotiables where we talk about respect and communication and how we will not tolerate those behaviors. And Kathleen, I want, I want to jump in a second because we had a great comment where somebody said, so a lot of what you're saying too is self-awareness. And I want to bring Deborah into the conversation as well. If, if someone wrote in the chat that they agreed they learned from their own mistakes about joking. Some of us grew up in households where 
we did inappropriate joking and that was the norm. And then we get into the workplace and all of a sudden we're saying things that are offensive and we, we're not even aware that that comes across as threatening or intimidating. You're right. Humor can be used to diminish and, and decrease tension, but you're right, uh, Brooke, humor and sarcasm can certainly cover and be very, very undermining for um, for so many people there. So, and you're right. So the third and fourth is be responsible. Take those reports seriously. As Kristen said, don't just leave them after one report. We need to manage this up and we need to make sure, as I'm setting at my colleague Deborah here, that we have an organizational response, that we have other things that we can be doing within this culture to reduce it. Deborah, would you take over and talk about other things that can support these individual actions? Tell me, Deborah, as a healthcare organization, what steps have you taken to prevent bullying? When you were the uh, well, you know, it's a, always it's a both and as as Kathleen was just describing, it begins with a personal commitment and awareness so that you're taking ownership, you're modeling and mentoring, because that is the leadership that's pervasive in the organization. And there are certainly many strategies, but in our time frame, I'm just going to focus on a couple that I think will be most helpful to our group. And uh, it's been mentioned before, but a culture of respect really is something to build upon. And I always tried in my various roles, but certainly as the president, to establish a common understanding and commitment from everyone in the organization about uh, what bullying is and what does that mean in our organization. So uh, first thing is uh, establishing an educational foundation. And that means from the shift supervisors to frontline leaders to every executive, you know, what is it that we now have a shared understanding of what this means and what does that shared understanding then translate to behaviors about modeling, mentoring, collaborating, you know, the whys of bullying, the signs and symptoms, the actions, those types of things. And then um, add to that then purposeful rounding, purposeful leadership rounding at all levels. But most critical is the senior executive rounding. It's a uh, HXF has a really strong model, but I found that was the one element that got the entire team together and made that connection to the person who was, you know, making sure that the boilers were taken care of. It it was that kind of thing. It has to be pervasive. And staff education as well. Certainly with our challenges with staffing, we can't bring people together at all times, uh, but having some periodic together time really does help create that uh, camaraderie, even if it's just a 10-minute huddle. Uh, And then also asynchronous learning where we can have some online learning, because again, we want that shared understanding of what bullying is like, because you're a more advanced audience. Can you imagine some of the frontline people just assuming it to be the nature of business in the organization? And And thank you for saying that, because we always assume everyone's starting at the same place. And their frame of reference might not be where you want the organization to be. And so doing that, like you're mentioning, doing that great job of educating them to all get them at that level, that starting place of this is acceptable, this is not acceptable, and then moving forward. And encouraging responsibility as well, Brooke, you know, because that whole bystander 
uh, business where, you know, people are not being accountable. They're kind of witnessing. We need them to be actively uh, involved. And then uh, I just have two more quick points. Establishing effective and easily accessible processes. Uh, so that means working with HR and having evidence-based systems approach. So information can be gathered and people can get that dialogue going in case there's an issue and they're not as effective in getting it um, brought forward in their organization. And I would certainly say metrics, you know, reviewing all of the metrics, you know, are we seeing changes in our patient safety, in our patient experience, in our staff engagement, you know, what's happening in our organization? And for leaders, we have to close the communication loop. We have to get back. If somebody's brought something forward, we have to be sure that those staff that brought something forward know that we're acting, they see the action, and that encourages that line of communication. And that certainly supports uh, anything we can do in terms of strategies and work with team effectiveness. Uh, one of the things that we did, which I thought was uh, an initiative from the staff, is they wanted a timeout room. And this was kind of their sacred space. We created a space in the hospital and they designed it. I gave them a minimum budget. And, you know, it was just like their little Zen place. They went in, they could use it whenever they wanted. It was a very powerful system cultural symbol that, yes, we take mental health seriously. And especially with the pandemic, there are whole sorts of things we did to support the psychological and emotional support of our, our work staff and such. And that really is a significant theme. And then, of course, uh, reviewing and always revising your systems to support the culture that you would like to make sure you take care of. Good points. Thanks, Deborah. And, you know, we, we realize that sometimes it's really hard to reset as employees. So if we just had an altercation or someone's intimidated us, and I'm going to go in and interact with this next person or this next patient, I'm going to bring that with me. And I'm going to carry that over. And so having a place to reset, we learned that during the pandemic that people needed to have that five minutes just to reset. And I know I appreciate you sharing some of those um, hands-on solutions and also paying attention. You know, I, I listened to a CNO tell me that there was a new oncology uh, department leader that had been brought in and basically not really onboarded in a way that would mentor that person. Six months into it, eight people have left her department and now you're paying attention. There were issues going on early on and that person needed that support and maybe some coaching and maybe they were in the wrong role because that was their first time being a supervisor and manage in a management position. So looking at those two, we've got some great uh, comments coming in. It says, what if bullying is the one who teaches the class about bullying in, in, in what if the bully or the bully is the one teaching the bully class? That's a great one. How can you? Yeah, I saw, I, I, I wanted to respond to that, you know, which yeah. goes back to those super in charge cultures that sort of support intimidation. Mm -hmm. And so, um, it, you know, Kristen had given some thoughts too about in a, in, a, in a real world where we have good levels of psychological safety, where I can feel confident to say, wow, you know, can I talk to you afterwards? The way you responded to me, you know, was really intimidating and uh, I felt condescending. That's, that's the world where you're comfortable and confident. But what I would, I would do is find a peer 
your peer, your um, someone that you report to that you do have that safety with, talk about how can I res- how can I bring that feedback to that person. Um, that's where we need the education to go that Deborah was talking about, and we're going to talk about that in some of our work to be around about first of all self awareness. How do I come across self management? How do I control it? And empath and uh, social awareness, the ability to read others and realize I'm rude or I'm coming across. Um, difficult. But this question we ask all the time, how confident are you that your staff are sharing all those concerns with you uh, is important. Yeah, you need to know that there's transparency and that they feel safe talking to you, but also it's self-awareness, which is emotional intelligence. And so if somebody who's not self-aware and doesn't have emotional intelligence, you have that person in a leadership position teaching about bullying and incivility, and then you have some you have some uh, offsite. You have to have a one-on-one consult with that person to really help them understand how they're coming across and being perceived, and and some of the things that they're saying that aren't uh, appropriate. Uh, while we're waiting for these numbers, Brooke, when I was a CNO, I, I got a pillow called Bossy Boots. I was, <laughs> I was proud of that pillow until all of a sudden I realized, duh, a little late in life there, that. People were not coming to me with everything because they knew I'm a, I'm a person, I'm a go-getter, I'm getting things done. And so nobody wanted to bring me the bad news consistently. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I directly had this conversation with my directors and said, folks, if you are not comfortable and confident giving me all of the concerns and what you don't agree with, that that's a reflection on me that I'm a lousy leader, that I am not giving you the safety to do that. And it was, it was a little hard for me to be humbled and realize that, but thank God it was early on in my career that we need to give people permission. We need to be vulnerable and share where we struggle so people can be open and honest with us. Kristen, you had something you wanted to add? I do. So I know it's hard sometimes. There's a lot of people who don't want to you know, have that conversation right out of the gate, but we all know that if we don't address it, it's not going anywhere. And many of you on the chat can say, out of sight, out of mind does not work. Mm-hmm. What I what I do want to share is um, we have to be open to feedback and we have to be open to listen. And I know it's not easy as a leader. You're responsible for your department. You own it. You You care about the people that work there. You care about the patients. But if you're not listening and you aren't open to that conversation, any conversation in the unit, anything from simply we don't have the right IV start kits, or this tubing isn't working to this doctor's being nasty. And if you're not listening, people will stop talking. And there's no way that you as a leader, regardless of where you sit in the organization, can make change when you don't know where your opportunities are. And it's probably one of the hardest things to hear as feedback, but it's the only way we can grow. And it's the only way our departments can grow. And it's the only way our organization can grow. Right. And and you have to know that when you have built those relationships and you have that connection, those conversations will be shared in a positive format, right? Even if it's something we don't want to hear, we won't take it personally. It's not going to cut to the core of who we are. So your poll came back with 9% of you are very confident that your staff are sharing all their concerns with you. So there is a room for improvement when it comes to transparency and self-awareness and feeling safe and telling you Um, what they're experiencing and what's happening. And that also contributes to nurse retention and people staying in the organization because we know the number one reason people leave their job is their immediate supervisor. It's all about relationships. You know, it's really all about connection and relationships. 
We'll go to the nth degree for the team that we really are, um, we love and care about and want to be there for. The team we don't care about, we'll call off and not show up because I don't care, right? So what can we do to help our experts, Deborah and Kathleen? Um, well, I'll begin if it's okay with Deborah there. Uh, so how do we help? And and this is, we have a lot, we have a lot that we can offer. But as coaches, when we work with organizations, uh, first of all, we work in collaboration with the individuals, the leadership, the organizations, that's our first responsibility to support you and work with you, what you're doing, where you are. The second thing is go back to the old nursing process. We begin with assessing. We assess by listening, by observing, by understanding what's going on. As um, Deborah talked about, there's reports out there that'll give you an idea if you've got problems, your employee engagement reports, your patient safety surveys, your um, trend in how many people are leaving the turnover. We know when we come on board, there's two buckets of work that needs to be done that usually needs to be done where bullying kind of thrives. It's the culture, which i.e. the leadership of the organization and then the, the disempowered or empowered employees. Uh, and so what we have learned is those cultures that embrace a culture of collaboration, a culture of compassion, a culture of patient safety, their foundation is built on employee, on employee intelligence, on uh, emotional intelligence. And so looking at the leadership team, when we you know, hear Kristen's story about her issue there, she may have had strong EI, but if the skills are not equally and fairly spread in an, in an executive team, it filters down. If we're in an organization in a fil- uh, organization that is all about achieving goals and achieving objectives and get, get those um, outcomes out there on that timetable, then we have a more a greater opportunity of, of the kindness and the compassion and good emotional intelligence falling through. So we begin with, and we can do this online in sessions like this in virtual workshops or train the trainer. First of all, how to recognize and reduce bullying. You know, we talk about it, it's overt and it's covert. Uh, There's many different kinds, it's called a number of different things, incivility, um, that the microaggressions. Uh, we, We go into deep depth about what is the culture of safety, collaboration and compassion look like? Our work in diversity, equity and inclusion all filters into this, right? Bullying we know has occurred with with uh, in diverse situations all around. Uh, so we have different forums and venues that we can offer you uh, this. In fact, so typically our education is in, in these two ways. In fact, we were doing an education last week, or not last week, two weeks ago, Brooke down in North Carolina on a patient safety, a culture of patient safety. And throughout the work of the day came through the difficulty bringing up near misses we're sharing with someone where we think there's a problem in the process. So psychological safety was really missing. And what came out was the overt incivility, the microaggressive behaviors. And so we, as our goal and our objective as a leadership development organization is to give staff, frontline staff, managers, directors, executives, the tools, the skills, and the confidence to combat this and develop things like nurses as allies, not as bullies. So these are just a a cadre of all the different forums that we provide education. But honestly, as most of the research shows, education is probably the most important thing to begin there. Yeah, and you know, and I know that 
we can do, even Deborah, when you were CEO of your organization, we can say the same thing, but bringing in a team to say it for us sometimes adds that depth and breadth that we're looking for in an organization because then it just reinforce what needs to be said. And we can also do an assessment to say, here's where you are, because sometimes our view of our organization is only the only organization we've ever worked at. And so we don't know anything outside our own four walls of, no, this isn't the norm. This is what's exceptional. Kristen, you had a point you wanted to share? I do. I wanted to to tell the audience that um, building a culture with zero tolerance and building the positive interactions and, and that caring environment does make a difference. As a CNO, the average turnover RN rates and I can only give them to you through mid-21, so right after COVID was waning, um, is 18%. My turnover rates in my organization were 15 to 17% year over year. We had a very low turnover rate. We we had very successful onboarding programs. Um, Our employee engagement scores were in the fours out of five, and the patient experience was on the upward um, trend. Um, I started when I got there, it was a one percentile and one hospital was a 50 percentile and the other one was pushing 70. So we made a huge difference. And what I'm telling all of you is there's huge opportunities and you just take it one step at a time and find out what is the one thing you can do right now to start that culture change. And it takes a long time, three to five years to change culture. But if you're steady and you're consistent and you're leading by example, you can make a difference. Thank you, Kristen. And Deborah, did you have something you wanted to add? Just one last uh, comment about the teaming and the new normal. I think one of the areas that we've all learned over the last several years is that we need to develop new ways of working together and designing new delivery models and systems. And I think that is a skill that People are thinking about, well, I was a team before, but it's a new skill that needs to be enhanced and developed in order to be successful going forward. Yeah. And whenever you walked onto a unit where they are a tight knit team and they really have each other's back and they support each other, you walk into that unit, you feel it. And they're all working in succinctly and they're just really um, achieving the goal. And and there's been units I walked out of going, I want to work here. I mean, I just really feel a part of that team of really caring and having each other. Teaming in the new norm, Amy Edmondson's absolute seminal work on psychological safety and this teaming versus team is phenomenal work and re- reflection what Deborah's talking about, about what does that look like now? And we certainly need that for sure. So thank you again. I appreciate all of you for joining. We appreciate the work that you do and the job that you do. Thanks to my great team. Appreciate you. Take care. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Healthcare Experience Matters. Healthcare Experience Matters is brought to you by the Healthcare Experience Foundation with today's episode teaming with PRC. To learn more, visit healthcareexperience.org. That's healthcareexperience.org.